following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Today I got my glasses, and it really was just revolutionary, because um, I didn't realize, you know, so first I got my glasses, and you know, you don't know how blurry the world is until all of a sudden it's just clear and sharp, right? And I just remember, like, the whole world became a new place for me. I was in fourth grade, and all of a sudden I could really see things, and the world just became, literally came into focus. And uh, we lived in this little mountain community, and I remember it was a, we lived on one side of the valley, and looking across the valley, I always thought that on the other side was just this green blob, right? And I remember looking at that mountain, that hillside, and seeing individual trees, and it was like, wow, like the world is an amazing place, right? Because it was clear. Well, um, uh, in this account, uh, we see that the, the disciples still are not seeing Jesus very clearly. Their, their vision, their focus is still quite blurry. And uh, they need uh, to sharpen their vision, right? So, uh, and, and, you, and what's remarkable about this, we'll read it in a minute, but what's amazing is that at this point in the Gospel of Matthew, um, the disciples have seen a lot They have seen Jesus do some incredible miracles and heal perhaps thousands of people. We don't know how many, but uh, heal the the, the, give sight to the blind and heal the cripple. Uh, Jesus has has done some amazing things. He's he's fed five thousand people, and in this account, we'll see that Jesus feeds four thousand people with just a very small amount of bread. And you look at the disciples and you say, how is it you guys have seen and experienced so much and, and yet you still don't get it, right? And so it would be easy to kind of pick on them and say, well, those, those poor disciples were just stupid, right? But if we're honest, if I'm honest with myself, I have to say that oftentimes I am just as slow as those disciples were, right? Um, we still, as modern-day modern day disciples, oftentimes do not see Jesus as clearly as he's revealed himself in the Word. We're still fuzzy, and things are still out of focus. And the truth is, we probably, if we've been around the church much, we probably have better theology than the disciples, than the original disciples, because we've been taught all the right things. And it's not a matter that we, don't, we haven't been instructed We've been told all the right doctrines. We probably know them pretty well. We could probably recite them. If I were to give you a quiz this morning, maybe I should do that. Should, I do, should we have a quiz? No, we won't. Uh, but I bet you guys would score really well. I know I would score well, especially if I wrote the quiz. <laughs> right? uh, that's how it works. But um, just because I know the right answer to the question doesn't necessarily mean I believe it with my whole heart. That I really understand the full implications, the full meaning and truth of those things. And just like the disciples, I must say that oftentimes my vision about these truths is quite fuzzy, quite blurry. And I need, I need glasses, I need to sharpen, I need to improve my vision. Um, so let's look at this and we'll, we'll read through it section by section because there's actually four stories that are reported here. And so we'll kind of walk through them and then at the end I want to apply them 
to how we can have a clearer vision of Jesus and how that can affect our life. Uh, so first, uh, these four stories, starting in verse 29, and, and now I will read, uh, starting in verse 29, the first section, 29 through 31. Uh, Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. And he went up on the mountain and sat down there, and great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put him at his feet, and he healed them. So that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they glorified the God of Israel. Uh, I've titled this point, God's Heart for the Nations. And uh, these stories uh, seem somewhat random. And as we'll look through, they look a little bit disconnected. And maybe we may not see the theme. But one of the themes that holds these four stories together, I believe, is that uh, we see Jesus shifting his ministry away from the Jews and Israel and start, starting to minister now to the, to the nations, to the Gentiles. And uh, we see a shift in his focus. Now, it, it, if you read through this passage, it doesn't say here, and Jesus left the Jews and went to the Gentiles. right? So how do we deduce that? How do we conclude that Jesus is now focused on uh, Gentiles? Well, there's a number of pointers in these stories, and I'm just going to survey them quickly uh, in case you don't take my word for it. Uh, first off, the account before this, uh, Jesus was in Tyre and Sidon. Remember, we looked at that last Sunday, the Canaanite woman. She was not a Jew, right? And Jesus has a bit of a debate with her about whether or not he should help her. And in the end, she wins the debate by reminding Jesus that uh, she may not have a right to the bread of the children, but even the dogs get the leftovers. And that uh, there was enough uh, of God's power and God's goodness uh, to be extended beyond Israel to the nations. From there, it says Jesus went from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee, and he was in a very remote place, which would indicate he wasn't uh, in Galilee, that he was on the far eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, which was not um, Jewish territory. It was very much Gentile territory. And he's, he is there. And it's there that these crowds gather, and Jesus heals them, and it says they wonder, they are astonished and amazed, right? And then they say uh, that they give glory to the God of Israel. Now, if you are an Israelite, you wouldn't say that, right? The Israelites, the Jews would not have said, we give glory to the God of Israel because they were Israel. They would have just said, we give glory to God, right? And in fact, in all the rest of the gospel accounts, we never see Jewish people giving glory to the God of Israel, Okay, that's something that a Gentile would say. Right? So that's a pretty clear indication that Jesus, this crowd is not is Israelite. They are Gentile. They are the nations. Uh, and then we will see Jesus confronts the Pharisees. And we'll read that section here in a minute. And he has a bit of a debate with them. And at the end it says in verse uh, 4 of chapter 16 uh, that he left them and departed. Um, now that could just mean that uh, he, he went away. But uh, the, the use of the two words, he left and departed, is unusual. And uh, it, it really is indicating that Jesus is, in a very real way, turning away from the Jews, especially the Jewish leadership, and he is now shifting to the Gentiles. He's leaving them behind. And in fact, in the rest of the gospel, Jesus is ministering primarily outside of, of Jewish territory. 
The only time we see Jesus back in Israelite or Jewish territory is when he's on his way to Jerusalem to the cross. Right? So, of course, then he's in Israelite territory. But he's just traveling through uh, with his eyes set on going to the cross. Right? So we get this picture that Jesus is now shifting his ministry. He is now extending the offer of the kingdom, not just to Israel, but to the nations. And, of course, we know at the end of the book of Matthew... Uh, Jesus commissions his disciples to take this gospel message and to make disciples of the nations. And that is God's heart, not just for Israel, but for all the nations. Uh, So that's what kind of ties these four stories together as we see this this shift taking place, right? So Jesus is here healing, uh, and he's healing, uh, and he's, first of all, meeting some very physical material needs of, of, of the Gentiles, just like he did for Israel, and so the description here of healing sounds a lot like what Jesus has been doing all along, where he was healing and giving sight to the blind in Israel, but now he's doing it outside for the Gentiles, just as he did. And he's not picking and choosing. He is not limited on, well, I could heal this, but I can't heal that. He's healing everybody that's brought to him, every malady, every disorder, every problem. And they lay him at Jesus' feet, beautiful picture laying them at Jesus' feet, and Jesus heals them one after another. Right? Um, then we get to verse 32, and I'll read that. Uh, we can read together verse 32. Then Jesus called those disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish. And having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all uh, ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. Right? Does this sound familiar? Well, it should. This sounds a lot like the feeding of the 5,000. And again, the main difference here is the audience. Uh, when Jesus fed the 5,000, he was, he was it was an exclusively Jewish crowd. Here, very likely, it is Gentiles. Uh, Of course, the number is different, 4,000 instead of 5,000. Seven loaves of bread instead of two. So Jesus uh, feeds less people with more bread. So clearly not as good of a miracle, right? I mean, anybody could feed, you know, seven loaves, 4,000. Anybody could do that, really, right? Well, not really. Um, What we see here is Jesus' ministry, his, his heart, his compassion, his interest, uh, for uh, the Gentiles is just like it was for Israel, right? He's moved with compassion for these people who are hungry. He doesn't want to send them away. They've been with him three days. The feeding of the 5,000, they were just there one day. Here they've been with him three days. It's like, boy, if we send them home, they're going to pass out on the way. We've got to take care of them. So we see Jesus' heart and his compassion for them. Um, then uh, it says in verse 39, we'll read the next section, 39 through verse 4. And after sending them away, that is the crowd, sending the crowds away, 
he and the disciples got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. Okay, so now they cross over uh, the Sea of Galilee back into Jewish territory. And as soon as they get there, there is a welcoming party, right? They are glad to see Jesus, right? The Jews are excited. Hey, our Messiah's come back. Let's, let's, let's celebrate him, right? Well, there was a welcoming party, but not to celebrate him. Notice what it says. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came and to test him, to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. And he answered them, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the sign of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. Jesus, as soon as he steps back into Jewish territory, they've been looking for him. And this also sounds very familiar. This is not the first time that the Pharisees have come asking for a sign. This happened back in chapter 12. But those Pharisees were most likely local. They were local, local Galilean Pharisees who were checking out Jesus' ministry. But this is a group of, of interestingly, Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, you may not know a lot about these two groups, but uh, let me put it this way. They were not friends at all. Right? They did not get along. They had two very different understandings of the word and of God's authority and how God worked. And so to see them together uh, was unusual. And it probably represents that this was a delegation coming from Jerusalem who had come uh, to, to test Jesus. And the word here is the same word that was used of Satan when he tempted Jesus in the wilderness. This is not a friendly, well, we would like to know more about your ministry. Okay, these guys are interrogating Jesus. They are being judgmental and critical, and, and they really don't believe he is the Messiah. And they're coming not so much to prove who he is, but to disprove. Right, and to cast doubt on Jesus and his ministry. And Jesus answers them uh, first with a parable about the sky. He says, look, you guys are great at predicting the weather, but you do not see, you cannot read the signs of the times. Uh, the signs of the times, what's going on around you in the world right now as Jesus is doing all these amazing miracles and they don't understand what it means. And so he says the only sign you will get is the sign of Jonah. And we'll come back to that in a minute, uh, the sign of Jonah. Uh, but at that, Jesus, as I said, he leaves them. Uh, he really has uh, seen that their hard-heartedness will not be changed, that the, the Jewish leaders are coming closer and closer to flat-out rejecting Jesus, which, of course, they will do finally and fully when he goes to Jerusalem and they nail him on the cross. Um, then, then we come to the final story, the final account. So let's read that, uh, starting in verse 5. When the disciples reached the other side, so again, they're, they're going back and, cross, back and forth across the Sea of Galilee. And by doing so, they're going into and out of Jewish territory. Right? So they get back in the boat, and these poor guys, it's like, we just got here. <laughs> and we got to row back. That's what they do. Get back in the boat. Um, and when they got to the other side... They had forgotten to bring bread. And Jesus said to them, Watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. 
And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, Oh, we brought, we didn't bring bread. We brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, Oh, you have little faith. Why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you do not yet see? Are you still really that blind? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000? And how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000? And how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Um, These poor disciples, right? Uh, They get back in the boat, they get across, they go back to this remote area, and we don't know what they were thinking, but it's interesting, uh, we get a little glimpse maybe into how this group of disciples worked. And it appears that they had jobs, right? We know, for example, that Judas Iscariot was the bookkeeper, uh, that he kept the money back and was the one who doled out the cash. Um, we don't know who was responsible for food, but it appears somebody was. Maybe, I don't know, maybe Andrew and Philip or Andrew and Thomas. I don't know. Maybe there was a food committee and they got across and they ended up at this very remote place. There's no 7-Elevens, right? There's no big C. There's no anything. There's no villages. They're out in the middle of nowhere. And I could just see the fingers pointing. Ah, it was your turn to bring the bread. It wasn't my turn. I brought the bread last time. It's your turn to bring the bread, right? And they're having this discussion about, uh, we have no food, right? We have no food. We're, we're not going to get lunch or dinner. Breakfast is not looking too good either, right? This is a bit of a crisis. And so they're focused on food. Amen, right? How many of us, if we're honest, that's where our brain is most of the time, right? Focused on food. Preacher's going on and on. When's lunch, right? Focused on food. That's these guys. Focused on the food. Where's lunch? Right? And so Jesus says, Beware the leaven of the Pharisees. And because they are so focused on bread, they assume Jesus is scolding them, rebuking them for failing in their duties. How could you guys be so uh, irresponsible that you forgot lunch? Right? And so they think that's what Jesus is talking about. And Jesus says, how can you still not perceive? Right? How is it your vision is still so blurry that you don't even know what I'm talking about? Right? How is this possible? Um, you're worried about food, what I'm worried about is false teaching. Right? The influence of these Pharisees and Sadducees and their teaching that is undermining faith and that is discrediting the ministry of the Messiah, that is tearing down the very character of Jesus. He says, you've got to beware of that kind of destructive teaching. It is like leaven that has huge influence and, and will be very damaging to your faith if you let it creep into your thinking. How could they not see? Right? Well, as I said, and Jesus says, look, you know, guys, remember the 5,000? Five loaves of bread, 5,000 people. How many baskets did you pick up afterwards? Uh, Twelve. Yeah, 
There was like a lot of leftover. Fed 4,000. That just happened. Just We were just here. We just fed. This was like a couple days ago. Maybe yesterday. Maybe yesterday. 4,000 people. Seven little loaves of bread. How many baskets? Uh, seven. Right. Is food going to be a problem for us? Uh, no. <laughs> right? They just can't see it. And, and again, you know, we would like to make fun of them. We would like to say, how could they be so dense? How could they be so clueless? But honestly, honestly, like if we look at ourselves, are we really any different? Right? How many amazing things has God done in our life in the past? And yet, how much do we worry about tomorrow? Right? How much are we concerned about food, about finances, about uh, these things in our life that um, consume us with worry, are we really any different? I don't think so. I think, I think like them, we need uh, better vision. We need to focus our vision so that we see Jesus in his ministry more clearly. Uh, and and uh, if I could diagnose their problem from this passage, I, I would say this is the diagnosis. The problem, the reason their vision was so bad is that they thought too much of themselves and too little of Jesus. Okay, They thought too much of themselves and too little of Jesus. And so the cure, therefore, is simply this, to think less of myself and to think much more of Jesus and his power. Well, let me break that down a little bit. And let's start by looking at, at the first part. We think too much of ourselves. We think too highly of ourselves, right? We invest too much importance in ourselves. Uh, and the cure for that is simply to think less of ourselves. And I'm not saying we should go around uh, uh, demeaning ourselves. We are created in God's image. We have worth and value that God's given us. I'm not saying uh, the goal here is to hate ourselves. But what I'm saying is we, we give ourselves way too much credit, right, we, we think way too much depends on me. And there's two examples of this in this passage. The first one is all the way back when, they were, uh, when Jesus was going to feed the 5,000. And Jesus says, I have compassion. I'm worried about them. I don't want to send them away hungry. We need to feed them. And, and in verse 33 it says, And the disciples said to them, get this, Where are we going to get food to solve this problem in such a remote place? Right? It was like they, they automatically assumed that when Jesus said, I can't send these guys away hungry, their first instinct was to say, I've got to fix this, right? We can do this. It's on me, it's on us to come up with a solution how to feed 4,000 people. Oh, wait, I don't think we know how to do that. <laughs> yeah, duh, right? No, you don't know how to do that, right? You can't do that. And, I, and I'm thinking, you know, like, Judas would have been saying, hey, we don't have the money for the hat. That would cost us, you know, a lot of money. Not to mention the fact that we can't find the bread. But you see, their perspective is not, boy, I wonder how Jesus is going to fix this. Their first instinct, instinct the first thought is, wow, this depends on me. I've got to take care of this. I've got to solve this problem. Right? Uh, we see it on a smaller scale when they're back, right, with the, the whole leaven of the Pharisees thing. Back in, in chapter 16, uh, oops, we didn't bring bread, right? 
It's on us. Right? This is a, a massive catastrophe. We're going to all starve to death because we failed. Now, it may well be that they did fail. It could well be that Andrew was responsible for their bread and he messed up. Right? And uh, it may well be that all the other disciples were pointing fingers at him, saying, we're going to starve because you messed up. Right? But even if it was his duty, even if it was their responsibility, right? the great lesson here is, in the end, it was not a problem, right? Because it really did not depend on them, right? It did not depend on them. Um, and this is one of our problems. This is one of my problems, right? I think that success in ministry, success in life, uh, dealing with problems, solving issues depends on me and my wisdom and my resources, and my ability. Right? And, and then I, I mess up, and I fail, and I don't get it done, and I forget things, and I say things that hurt people. Right? And, I, and I think, oh, it's going to fail. It's going to fall apart because I messed up. Because we honestly think it depends on us. Right? And Jesus says, Guys, yeah, yeah, you messed up. Somebody forgot the bread. But here's the good news. It does not depend on you. I've got it covered. I've got this. Right? It does not depend on you. It depends on me. It depends on my power. It is my mission. I'm going to make sure it succeeds. It doesn't depend on you. Right? The amazing thing is God has invited us into ministry with him, right? And yes, he's given us duties and responsibilities. He's given us his great commission. He's called us, and we are to walk in obedience to the things he's called us to, right? But that doesn't mean that God has called us to these things because he can't succeed without us, right? Do we understand that? Are we, are we clear on that? Like Jesus is not up there wringing his hands going, oh, I hope Tim doesn't mess up this sermon because all those people, their, their lives are at stake for eternity if Tim says something wrong. And boy, does he ever say things wrong. Right? He's always messing up. What are we going to do? Believe me, God's not worried. He can overcome my bad preaching. Amen. Hallelujah. He can, he, it doesn't depend on me, right? In fact, here's the amazing truth. Uh, Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians 12 that God's strength is perfected in my weakness. God loves to use messed up, flawed people. And he loves to even use our mistakes and fill it with his grace so that in the end it's clear we didn't do it. That it wasn't me. In the end it's clear God did it. In spite of me. Beyond me. Right? That's how he works. Second Corinthians 12.9 but, but he said to me, God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Praise God we're weak. Praise God it doesn't depend on us. Praise God we mess up. Because then God fills it with his power and his spirit, so that in the end it's clear God did it. It was dependent on him, not on me. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've, I've had this happen uh, and this is just an example out of my life as a preacher, where I get done preaching and I'm just convinced it was the worst uh, sermon ever. Uh, and I just think, man, I don't think I made sense of anything. 
I think it was so unclear and so boring and so dead. And how, you know, I just so discouraged. And, and uh, so, sometimes my worst sermons, I'll have people come up and say, wow, I can't tell you how God spoke to me and how that changed my life. And I know it wasn't me. It's like, if you got anything out of that message, believe me, it was God. It was not me, right? And, and that's how God works. It's not dependent on me. It's not dependent on us. Now, we, we need to be faithful, and God wants, to, wants us to enjoy the fruit of his work. So he invites us, he calls us to minister with him. But, right, it depends on him, not us. A second thing that we need to, we need to change about our, our, our own thinking, about focusing too much on ourselves, is that we worry too much about the wrong things. Right? They were, they were worried about material things. They were worried about food. They were worried about lunch. And because they were so focused on that, uh, they didn't see the spiritual things that Jesus was trying to teach them about. They were so worried about food, they didn't understand Jesus was talking about the danger of false teaching and bad doctrine. Right? And, and the same thing is true for us. We can be so worried about things that are just not that important. Worried about the wrong things. Food, clothing, our financial support, our visa situation, right? travel. Let me travel. It's good to see Shine and Jessica back. They let you on the plane. They let you into Thailand. See, God's at work, right? Um, but we worry about those things. Did you guys worry at all? You guys didn't worry at all, did you? Nah, nah, right now. Uh, worried about COVID. And you might argue, well, yeah, but those things are important, right? Like living where I live, I mean, my ministry, being here or not being here, depends on those things. If I get COVID, maybe I will die. Maybe some of these things are life and death. Why shouldn't we worry about those things? And here's the amazing truth that Jesus teaches here is we are not to worry about those things, not because they're not important, not because having a visa to live in Thailand is not important. Right? It is important. You can't be here without it. Uh, but, but we don't worry about those things, not because they're not important, uh, but because Jesus has it covered. Jesus has it covered. That's what he says there. He says, well, you guys are worrying about bread and that you messed up. Don't worry. I have it covered, right? Um, uh, as Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, uh, instead of worrying about those things, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That should be our focus. God's kingdom is truth, who Jesus is, the righteousness that he has provided for us through the cross. And all these things will be added to you. Right? God will take care of these things. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Uh, You could put it this way. Uh, We don't have to worry about those things because Jesus is worried for us. He's concerned about those things for us. And lastly, um, the, the, the rest of that is we do need to focus on good teaching. right? We do need to be worried about spiritual things, about good teaching. The real danger is not about starving to death, but being misled by bad teaching, right? by letting uh, the world and man's wisdom and, and people's opinions and popular tr- trends uh, poison our thinking 
so that we are no longer walking in the truth. That's serious. Right? That's what Jesus was concerned about. The spiritual uh, nature of our life and truth. Right? Uh, so we need to be careful that we're not so caught up in these things in our own self and, and we're not taking care of those things. But, but the second side of it is that we need to think more of God. It's not just about thinking less of ourselves, but we need to fill our minds more with the truth of who God is. And uh, let me just give three things to, to apply uh, how we can expand our vision on our understanding of God. First of all, uh, we need to uh, focus on the overwhelming compassion of God. Uh, when Jesus was going to feed the 5,000, I just love this picture. Jesus called his disciples and said to him, I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. I am unwilling to send them away hungry. Uh, Jesus' heart goes out to these people. He is sensitive to their needs. Like They weren't complaining. They didn't come to him and say, hey, Jesus, we're hungry. But he was sensitive. He knew what they needed. And before they even asked, he was thinking about them. And he has compassion. He has care for them. His heart goes out to them. Um, and, and these are Gentiles. These aren't even Israelites. But he's, he's caring for them. He is worried about them. Um, I'll be honest, in my own life, my, my failure to grasp the full extent of God's great love has probably been one of my greatest weaknesses, Right? That, bring, that Satan uses to bring in doubt. Because I'm really not convinced uh, the extent of God's love for me. Now, of course, if you ask me, do you believe God is love? Oh, yeah, I believe that God is love. Does God love you unconditionally? Yes, I, in my head, I believe that. Right? But in everyday real life experience, um, I, I don't know that I grasp the full extent of what that means. Right? Do, we, do we know what that means? God really loves you. He cares about you. His heart of compassion is beyond what you can imagine. Right? Uh, do we know that? It is the very glory of God. Not that we loved him, but that he loves us. Right? Uh, I think we need to constantly be reminding ourselves and focusing on God's character as a God of love and compassion, who cares for needy, broken, sinful people. Secondly, we need to focus on the abundant power of God. It's not just that God has compassion, but he can't do anything. (laughs) Praise God, he's got compassion, and he has power to do something about it. Right? Uh, No matter how great our need or how impossible it is, it's not impossible for God, right? He feeds 5,000 with five loaves of bread. He feeds 4,000 with seven loaves of bread. And in both cases, he not only met the need, and by the way, it says there that the people ate until they were satisfied. In other words, they ate until they were full, right? They didn't get just a little snack, right? This was not communion, where you get the little, the little crumb, right? No, no, they ate until they were full. And these people had been there for three days. I'm thinking some of these people were packing it away, right? That is a little, little 
cracker. Like they were shoveling in the bread and the fish. They were hungry. And they ate until they were all full. Full, right? And there were seven big baskets of leftovers. Right? What a picture of the abundance of God's power. It's not only enough to meet our need, but it's enough to meet our need with leftovers. With leftovers. Right? There will never be a problem or difficulty in our life where God has to ponder and wonder, wow, I don't know, can I do this? Right? Uh, Does God ever think, wow, boy, Tim, you've really got yourself in a jam. This may be beyond my help. (laughs) Praise God, that will never happen. God's power is sufficient. It is enough, always, to meet every need, to take care of us. Um, now, I know the problem, right? I know it's easy to talk about these things, and I know in our minds it's easy to agree, yeah, I know God loves me. Yes, I know he has the power to meet my need, but I know the problem, and the problem is this. God does not always answer our prayer. He does not, and he does not, well, he does not answer our prayer the way we think he should or as quickly as we want him to, Right? We all know this. We have prayed, we have trusted, we believed in his goodness, we believed in his power, and it didn't happen. And we waited, right? And, and so doubt comes, right? Uh, and, and the reality is that God uh, requires of us one thing. Not, not our goodness, not that we're perfect, not that we don't mess up. He does not require that of us. He knows we fail. What he requires of us is what? Faith. Faith. And here's the reality. Faith almost always involves some kind of waiting. Right? Faith is waiting. Um, that's the way it is. Right? And so there is always a test. And so God does not always answer the way we think or as quickly as we think. Right? So what do we do when, when we've prayed, we've, we've tried, we're trying to seek him, and it's like, but it's not working. Right? How do we keep our focus uh, sharp then? Well, last thing. Um, let's go back to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And remember, Jesus said, I'm not going to give you a sign, mostly because you're hard-hearted and stubborn, except one. Uh, and when he said, I'm going to give you the sign of Jonah, he wasn't saying, I'm only giving you the sign because it's kind of a lame sign. I'm going to give you the sign of Jonah. It's not much, but it's all you get. Okay, that's not what Jesus is saying here. Okay, as it turns out, the sign of Jonah is is the most incredible sign he could have given. What was the sign of Jonah? Well, Matthew doesn't repeat it here because he already told, told us about it in, in, in chapter 12, the first time they asked. But it says in Matthew 12:40, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. What is the sign of Jonah? Well, it is simply the cross, that Jesus went to the cross and died for us there, and he was buried for three days in the tomb, and after three days he rose again. Okay, that, Jesus said, that is the sign I give you. Now, unfortunately, most of the Pharisees and Sadducees, the, the sign was there, It was there for them to see, but they chose not to look. But for those who will look, this is an incredible sign. What is it a sign of? Well, it is is the proof, undeniable proof, 
an evidence of God's love for you. Right? So when you pray and God doesn't seem to be answering, when you pray and it doesn't feel like God loves you, and you think, ah, maybe, maybe he doesn't, right? What's the cure? You need to go look at the cross, right? Stop everything else and go to the cross and look at what God did for you on the cross where he sent his only son from heaven to earth so that he could be nailed to the cross and take upon himself our punishment and our sin, take on himself the very wrath of God for us and allow himself to die on that cross and be buried. But then after three days to rise again, conquering sin and the grave and death and extending to us new life. If we ever doubt God's love, We just need to go to the cross. He who did not spare his own son, but gave himself up for us, how much more will he then uh, save us? Uh, Or as Paul puts it in Romans 5, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. Um, Would I die for you? (laughs) I probably would. But I want a thorough application first. Like, I want to find out, like, but here's the thing. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners... While we were his enemies, Christ died for us. If we ever doubt God's love, we just need to go back to the cross. I think every day, every day, moment by moment, we need to keep going back to the cross and reminding ourselves what God did for us. That's how much he loved us. And if he loved us that much, how will he not also, uh, with Jesus, graciously give us all things? Right? Graciously give us all things. It is hard to pour out the abundance of his goodness in our life. Right? We just need to, to trust him. Unlike the disciples, we need to have clearer vision of really who God is and what his heart is. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.